Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. The Stackwaddy game. Shall I go first? Go first. I've got a great category. Cracking category. This is, I was so pleased about this, Calypso singers. Okay. Oh, oh, Calypso artists. Oh, lovely idea. So here we go. Five Calypso artists, one of whom is a a figment of my imagination. One of whom will have the word plantain in his name. Okay. Here we go. Mikey Sparrow. Yep. Lord Snooty. <laughs> King Short Shirt. Red Plastic Bag. And Raz Shorty the First. Mighty Sparrow. Lord Snooty. King Short Shirt. Red Plastic Bag. Raz Shorty the First. Which one of those is a figment of my imagination? Oh, that's brilliant. Red plastic bag is so absurd that it must be true. You couldn't possibly have made that. Mighty Sparrow, we all know. The mighty Mighty Sparrow. Lord Snooty, I... God, that's difficult. Um, Red plastic bag. And what was the last one? Raz? Raz Shorty the First. Raz Shorty the First. He's a genius. That sounds like it might be... Dave, I'm going to go for Lord Snooty. Oh, you bastard. You bastard, you're right. Yeah. Oh, no, no. All the other ones are real. Mighty Sparrow, the, I mean, the King Short Shirt. How That's great. fantastic. That's such a good category. Red so plastic good. bag. So there was what? Eclipse is called Red Plastic Bag. Yes. How fabulously evocative is that? That's just genius. All right. Well, look, I'm going to hit you with lesser known, hard living, Thunderbird drinking, late 20s and 30s bluesmen. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 We've got five of them. One of them's fictitious. We have Bumblebee Slim, Richard Hacksaw Harney, (laughs) Catfish Lonnie McCoy, Peg Leg Howell, and Hambone Willie Newburn. 
Uh, it's handbone Willie Maybon, isn't it? Or is it? I don't know. Okay. Oh God, is it? Sorry. The last, the last, <laughs> the last two are real, definitely. Handbone Willie is real, and the one before that, what was the fourth one? Pegley Howell. Pegley Howell is real. Um, so go from the beginning again. Bumblebee Slim, Richard <laughs> no. Hacksaw Harney, and Catfish Lonnie McCoy. I'm going to say Bumblebee Slim. Oh, no, that's real. That's true. Oh, really? Oh, no, that's true. There's no, no, I'm afraid. No, Catfish Lonnie McCoy is the one I made up. The one I was going to try was Boneyard Jackson. <laughs> but then I thought nobody would go out there calling themselves Boneyard Jackson because it doesn't sound terribly attractive, really. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's terrible if I got the, a real one wrong. No, I, I, <coughs> I could have done. Maybe, maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't. Oh, that's very good. It's possible. So, so you, you, you responded to my gentle recommendation. I want to talk about gentle recommendations uh, of Call My Agent. And you watched Call My Agent last night, didn't you? Well, yeah, we watched two episodes. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's I could really not good, isn't it? I recommend it more highly. No, the well, basic see, structure of it is it's a bit like Mad Men. You're introduced to this office. It's like Man Men, but in the world of, of the kind of theatrical agent, isn't it? Film so agent, aren't they? Film agents, they're representing actors. And it starts with... And so you've got this wonderful combination of people. You've got the um, slightly, slightly catty uh, gay girl in her late 30s as a sort of camp uh, junior agent. There's a, a, you know, a, a two guys who are warring constantly to steal contracts off each other. All manner of brilliant intrigue. It's so funny. And the opening plot is about uh, an actress called Cecile de France. And, how, and you can see how plausible this is. She's offered a part by, they put her up for a Tarantino film. And uh, the Tarantino people eventually come back after she's given an interview saying she's doing this film. Come back and say she's too old. Yeah. And so you get all the repercussions of how do they tell her and what does she do about it? And, you know, the things she's required because, to do. Because does she have to have plastic surgery? And Oh, it's just fantastic. The, the key thing to know about this is obviously French, and it's set within the French film industry. And so every episode features a real French actor That's right. playing themselves. So you get Isabel uh, Huppert. Like, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so you get this really interesting thing going on between you've got actors playing parts, and then you've got alongside actors playing themselves. And so you get a very interesting kind of dynamic between the two, you know. Um, I think it's... But what interested me about it, and the reason I wanted to mention it in the podcast, was that is it, I, I, I started watching it in response to a gentle recommendation from Jim Irvin, you know, on, on, who we've had Our on the podcast. Our old pal had on the podcast, yeah. And Jim just on Twitter said, I've been watching Call My Agent, and it's just really nice and really sexy and kind of funny. And uh, he just did it quite gently. I thought, oh, I might watch that because I don't respond to people's vigorous recommendation. I don't respond to kind of people thumping the table saying you've got to watch this, you know. And what and I it's hard to respond to people who are often who are f film critics or whatever because that's their job. It They've is. got to find <coughs> something every week to get excited. Whereas, about. whereas when Jim said this, I thought, oh, Jim doesn't do that often. Okay, fine, I'll yeah. watch it. And I watched it and I just really enjoyed it. And what I've said to people, like I said to you, is you might like this, um, you know, which is what I said to people, you know, anybody listening to this or watching this podcast now, you might like this. You might not. <laughs> you know, it's not like Breaking Bad or whatever. You've got to watch it. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm fearful of those people who go around with kind of missionary glint in their eye, trying to force you to watch a television program. Completely. Which is probably going to take up 48 hours of your life, and at the end of which... 
you're going to think, why did I do that? Uh, but anyway, you might like it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Now, I recommended it to it's my... It's terrific. A couple of my daughters started watching it. They they like it as well. Um, so it's so good. funny. Also, it has that wonderfully absurd uh, sense of, yeah, a, a very key figure dies in the first episode. He's fact, the head of the agency. And he dies after swallowing a wasp. And I love those kind of things. You know, it's just so... Sort of, perfect, perfect. So daft, you know. So, so talking, comic. Talking, about the, uh, talking about films... I, I note that the James Bond film uh, has been put back. Uh, the, you know, I don't, I don't know when. They, yeah, this, they, they're in possibly Easter weekend in in next year. You know, which it's been is, put back twice, hasn't it? Because it was coming, wasn't it coming out? And originally, well, there was the time before lockdown. I think there was the time during lockdown, wasn't that? Isn't that right? It's yeah, probably, again, anyway. probably. So you know. There's probably no guarantee that it comes out at Easter next year, you know. And um, and there's you know there's a story in the in, in the new on the news today that uh, is it Cineworld, the chain of kind of major multiplexes, is is shutting down, you know. Yeah. Because they just can't guarantee people are going to come, you know. There's obviously very very serious news for anybody whose jobs involved. Uh, and so forth, but it, it kind of makes you think about the film industry, you know, because it's like um, our recent discussions about, you know, when's Glastonbury coming back or, you know, major tours and so forth, because everything, you know, it seems in the last 20 years, everything has proceeded on a kind of two-year plan, hasn't it? You know what I mean? We'll do this for six months, and then we'll do that for six months. Absolutely. And then we'll, there'll be a tour here, or there'll be a promotion here, and so forth. And everything's very scientific, and everything's meant to perfectly dovetail, isn't it? And all coordinate. Well, everybody's coming from, you know, different uh, different angles, but it's all supposed to coordinate. And of course, recent events have just, you know, put a bomb under that, haven't they? Really, you just can't do that anymore. Don't you feel that film stars are sort of invisible? Unless you see film stars actually out meeting their public, they sort of slightly cease to exist. They do. The the importance of premieres is absolutely crucial. Well, because even though it's only a brief thing, they're there and they're real and they're and they're pressing the flesh. And they well, and they, you know, I, I, I think one of the victims of this, although this has probably been going on a while, is the film star because. You know, the, 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 the kind of deal with the film star, and you take the kind of classic one, Tom Cruise, you know, that he, he, he made a big, a big films and half of the money in the film went to him. And the reason half of the money went to him is that Tom Cruise could open a film. Yeah. And it was all about the opening weekend. It was all about the fuss. It was all about the coordinated premieres. It was all about the takeovers of radio stations and television channels and everybody getting their little five minutes of Tom Cruise or whatever, and all about the red carpet and all about the newspapers, all just building up to this massive hype round one weekend, all designed to drive people to feel that they had to go, that they had to go this weekend to see the film. And if it didn't open big... It would never get big later on. That's you right. Know? You didn't have a sleeper film at all. No, no, it was all based on on that that foundation, wasn't it? It was all in the and, only and the weekend. perception that it was a success. Once once the once the press put out the fact that it had done it opened huge, that it was already a certified. It, it was absolutely. You've got to go and see it. Yeah, and uh, and that's how things have gone for the last 20, 30 years, I suppose. 
I don't, I don't, it's clearly not going to be like that anymore, is it? Because if you can't rely on an opening weekend, you know, on knowing when the opening weekend is going to be, you're going to do things in a different way. And so in the world of streaming, they just put things out, don't they? Yeah. I don't, you probably haven't seen it, and I haven't seen it, but I, I know it's a big success. I was just reading about it this morning. The Tiger King, which is this documentary real-life thing about, I don't know, exotic animals and death and so forth in some zoo in America. I don't know, and I don't care. I haven't seen I've it. I've seen it, yeah. You've seen it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But the point being, within 11 days of it being put out on March the 20th, it'd been seen 45 million times. Okay. Now, you've got to do a lot, you know, your Tom Cruise world, to equal that, you know. And you in the have, case that's like, a rare example of something benefiting from lockdown because that was the time when everyone was suddenly at home and everyone was saying, you must watch this. So the entire world watched it. But there, was no, there was no advertising. There was no, no. hype. No, it no. wasn't. It wasn't on the Graham Norton show or any of that kind of stuff, you know. No. So you know, so it strikes me film stars, you know, they, they are rooted in a world which has just gone away. You know, stars, not actors. Actors are a different thing, but stars. And I don't know if those big paydays are coming back. They may not. Bad news, Mr. Cruz. No, <laughs> it is. But I'm sure he's putting away in, in, uh, quite enough money anyway. We've had exactly the same conversations about the about the rock music world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. About the concept of a rock star, where they yeah. don't physically exist and you can't physically see them. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it's the, the other thing that's, uh, the other trend that's been running in parallel with this is, and I'm aware it's a world that you and I know nothing about which is the kind of world of, of kind of action films uh, featuring people generally, you know, as the old joke goes, wearing their underpants out over the top of their tights. In <laughs> uh, the kind of the Marvel world, the comic book heroes and so forth, which is, as far as I can tell, responsible for a huge amount of, uh, of cinema seats sold all over the world. And the only person I know who's caught up with this world, who knows about this world, should be out there right now. Alexander Gold, are you with us? Mr. Hello, Magic yeah. Ace. Paul Alex. Oh, yes. oh, hello. We can it's hear our producer. him. We can hear him. We can't see him. There but anyway, is. oh, there we can even see you. That's perfect. Alex, now, to see you. We need your we need your help here. We need your input. We're too old. Because Mark and I, you know, during lockdown, we've been reading improving books and so forth and learning how to crochet. You haven't been doing that at all. You've been catching up on Marvel films, I've been haven't you? People wearing their pants outside their trousers on mass, yeah, and it's been great. So you started on these films, didn't you, during lockdown? Yeah, well, you know, obviously with uh, with the world on hold and you know, um, not touring or going anywhere, you've got you're kind of looking for stuff to do. And uh, the Marvel world has actually passed me by for the past ten years. I haven't seen any of it, and I'm probably the only one in my little circle who hasn't seen any of it. Um, and I discovered there are 23 of these films. So I decided Jesus. in the month of June... So give, give us some names of the 23 of these films. Go on. What right, sort so, of names? So it, it kind of centres around sort of the, the, the big six. So you've got um, sort of... Uh, you've got Captain America. You've got Spider-Man. You've got the Hulk. You've got Thor. You've got Black Widow, Hawkeye. Uh, and there are more. Ant-Man. Um Complete blank day for us, isn't it? 
I do remember reading Marvel comics in the late seventies briefly, but this is just no. I've never seen one of these. So <laughs> I there, there are okay. So we've got ten years worth of Marvel uh, of now because they've been putting out content like the Clappers um, since since the studio started, and so I spent the month of June watching all twenty three movies in order of release. Good God. And, um, and I can't imagine them not being in my life anymore. I'm, I'm completely obsessed with the whole universe now. And uh, the other day, uh, I decided that I wanted to delve deeper because there are all sorts of spin-off series and, in, you know, stuff between the cracks, basically. So there are, there are numerous ways you can watch the Marvel um, the Marvel output. And order of releases is but one. Um, and another way to do it is, is, is in absolute chronological order. So I decided to look up online how I could possibly watch all of the Marvel output, major and minor. So we're talking films, series, shorts, all that kind of stuff in the chronological order as presented in the Marvel Universe. So you're starting with Captain America, um, which is set predominantly in World War II. And you finish with Avengers Endgame, which is set in 2023. Actually, I think there's a, there's a little bit of a series beyond that. There are 71 different things to watch. 71 I, films. So if you start, you can watch them all week, couldn't you, without without pause? Well, I'm doing a little bit each night. I started again last night, actually. I started Captain Started Marvel. again. Yeah, yeah. But it's fascinating because you go back and you notice things, little Easter eggs that are plonked throughout the movies that you didn't notice first time around. You know, there's there's, there's layers. It's like an onion. Like a, like a like an onion full of it. So, uh, am I right in saying that the, the the names of the actors and these things don't really matter? What uh, really matters is the characters. They've got some, they've got really big hitters in each film. So um, you've got Hugo Weaving, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson. Um, um, oh God! But now, that's not what makes people watch them, is it? Well, I thought it's there's, because there's, it's there's, it's you know. Ant Woman, who or whoever. It yeah, is. it can't matter who's playing that. Even in Ant Man, even an Ant Man is probably what you consider a sort of minor, you know, part of the universe. Uh, Michael Douglas is in those films, so they've they've got a big hitter in each film. No, I'm not saying they haven't got them, but nobody's going. Oh, I'm a Michael Douglas fan. I'm going to watch Ant Man. It's not no, happening. You know, weird, the weird thing is, it's almost incidental. Yet they're there. Yeah, yeah like, surely you're saying Ant Man is now suddenly played by so and so. That's interesting. You, know, you watch the Thor movies and you, oh, Jeff Goldblum's in it. Wow. Okay. And but it, yeah, it's kind of almost an afterthought. But I suppose that's that's indicative of the changing dynamic of the movie industry. I suppose isn't it? Oh well, it, it def- definitely is. And also the fact, the huge fact, that these things play as well in China as they play in the UK or the USA. You know, because language just doesn't matter at all. Because it's, yes. Everybody understands flying and explosions. Yeah, that's the thing. But the, 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 the awful thing is, after watching Avengers Endgame, which is so epic, and and on it, after watching one a night for twenty three nights, you're kind of you're really geared up for this finale. Do you know what I mean? Everything in your life so far has been leading up to this three hours of film, and and once you finish watching it, you can't watch anything for about a week because just nothing. It, there doesn't seem any point in watching anything else. Is that the last one? Yeah, yeah. So that it has officially ended. It it just feels like the absolute pinnacle of all filmmaking since time began. Like once you finish it, you're like, I can't. So I've only got one question. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, are you tempted? (laughs) Not even remotely. We used to have that thing in the in, in the word office, didn't we? Between the people who liked science fiction and the people who didn't, and the people who didn't would always go, "It's not real. <laughs> They're not real. It doesn't matter." 
<laughs> no, uh, no, not really. It's like, it's like, so, it's like Danny Baker says about fiction. I don't like it because it's all made up. It's all made up, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I think I think the thing with the Marvel thing, for me, I've been watching a lot of sci-fi since lockdown began. Be careful, Alec, you don't get that messianic glint in your eye when you try <laughs> yeah. and recommend it, you know, because we'll turn off. But go on, I'll carry on. I think it's perfect for times like these because, you know, I think more than ever, we, we kind of need a place to escape to, you know, with the world as it is. Yeah. And and something that's so vast in its in its scope and scale in, in terms of what it presents to you. It's kind of the the, per, the Marvel Universe is the perfect escape for, for a world that's gone mad and stopped. Well, listeners, we have not been paid for this endorsement. <laughs> the Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. We were talking last week about whether there's any need for these... Uh, endless lists of the greatest albums ever made and you know things you have to listen to before you die those key those key words that they always include nowadays and we were discussing you know when this was invented this whole idea of the kind of the rock canon and uh, retrospective lists and you said you thought that been... well i thought it was late 70s that the enemy had done one but in fact well, it's earlier isn't it? because somebody very kindly one of our one of our viewers has sent us uh... it's, yes ed barrett uh sent this he's actually much loved um old uh, pre-loved copy of the enemy from june the 1st 1974 with their list of uh it was a fold out in the middle isn't it it is uh, yeah i've got it here yeah, yeah in 100 all-time greats and it's kind of it's pretty much the obvious stuff isn't it in many cases you know sergeant peppers at number one blonde on blonde number two pet sounds revolvers highway 61 two Jimi hendrix records abbey road sticky fingers all that but but what what's interesting is uh well, it, the odd inclusions that, that you clearly wouldn't find anywhere near any kind of all-time albums list nowadays. I noticed that families... The things that are missing, too. Well, I don't come to that. It's got at number 44, just above Stevie Wonder's talking book, you've got Families, Music and a Doll's House. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to that's gonna be on, on, on any list, um, you know, subsequently. you got... <coughs> You got Stephen Stills' first solo album. You got Johnny Winter and and uh, number and uh, number seventy one, uh, well above the Who's Who's Next and Sly and the Family Stone. There's a riot going on. It's, uh, it's you've got great. Stand Up by Jethro Tull, which is unbelievable. Really. Not a bad record, but I mean the idea that it's in the top hundred, you know. And there's some that are, are kind of still fashionable. There's King Crimson's in the court. Look, of the Crimson King, an observation by King Crimson, as Danny Baker always used to correct us, uh, which is still at 37, and that's still kind of fashionable, isn't it? As is Hot Rats by Zappa, but Traffic's Traffic album, probably gone out of vogue. Love no, Forever Changes. Nobody talks about that Out anymore. of vogue. I think that's probably... I mean, Spirits, The Twelve Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus is in the top 100, which is it's absolutely nine, astonishing. Isn't it's it? 98. And Country Joe and the Fish. 98, Country Joe and the Fish, Electric Music for the Mind and Body, at number oh, 81. I know always... that is the 81st best record ever made at the time. It's astonishing, really, isn't it? I suppose so. And also, have you noticed what's in number 40? You, be, you, may, you may not be able to scroll, scroll through your list. Number 40 is an old favourite of yours. It just did... It's one one point one rank below the Beatles' White Album, and just above Frank Zappa's Hot Rats, is the first Soft Machine album. Oh yes, yeah, so it is <laughs> number forty. That is, which is wrong. Well, isn't it? It's, <laughs> that's but, very wrong. 
But what's the record that's not anywhere on the top 100? And this is only three years after it came out. So you would have thought it's, you know, it would still be reverberating around the world three it's years. It's what's later. going on by Marvin Gaye. It's what's going on by Marvin Gaye. I know, if that was the greatest record ever made, then why three years after it came out or whatever? Did they not? Think? I know. It's the same. Actually, another interesting example of that is Blue by Joni Mitchell. Blue by Joni Mitchell is number 67. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. And you think that'd been out for three years. So the full impact of that, I can understand Dark Side of the Moon being 92 because it only just come out. It actually came out about six months before this chart was made. Oh, right. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe people hadn't quite got around to, to working out its, uh, its value. But yeah. Blue by Joni Mitchell, number 67, because that's now in the top three, isn't it, I think, in the, in the, in the recent Rolling Stones. I, I, I think, think it was, was. Uh, number two, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah, uh, yes. Uh, but but it, it is really odd to look at this. Uh, the top ten, you have Jimi Hendrix, uh, Electric Ladyland at number six. Well, they wouldn't even show the cover nowadays. You know? I know. I and know. Uh, and are you experienced at number seven? I don't think either of them are in the top ten uh, albums ever made, either then or now. You know, really. But um, and I don't think there's any Led Zeppelin, is there? Which is a very rock critic thing, because rock critics generally. Oh yes, there is. There is. There's one. Oh, there is. Say uh, number of, uh, Led Zeppelin fours at thirty-five. Oh, okay. Sorry. Just, yeah, yeah. Just between every picture tells a story and the first yeah. door, Doors album. Um, but anyway, we're we're very grateful for Ed for sending the, that. He also sent he he found a singles one, didn't he? Let me see if I can find that. Yes, yes, have you, yes. Have you got it there? I've got I've got it somewhere here. Yeah, because um, this yeah, is the, singles, 90, the top ten singles is seven seventy six. The top ten were like a Rolling Stone, <clears throat> Strawberry Fields number two, uh, River Deep Mountain High three. I get around by the Beach Boys number four. What an odd choice that is. I mean, Beach Boys, yes, obviously. But in fact, Good Vibrations is number eight, so it's fair enough. My Generation, number five. Uh, I heard it through the grapevine, six. Satisfaction, seven. Good Vibrations, Tracks of My Tears, and Dancing in the Street. That's the top ten. But it's interesting. And also, Bob Dylan being number one. Bob Dylan isn't really a singles act, is he? He's not well, a I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's just, it's it's just general reverence for Bob Dylan, I think. I and there's lots so. of soul in there. There's you know, Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin and... And the drifters, and there's there's some I suppose what we call heritage now. There is some stuff from the fifties, isn't there? Buddy Holly, that'll be the day of Mr. But is Bell. is there a David Bowie single in there? No, there's no David Bowie. I, I I felt as if they were no um, T Rex. There's hardly anything from the seventies. I felt until I got to number sixty, and then they got Walk, Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. It's as if they couldn't think of the of the decade in which they were doing it. They had to, you know, go back to the yeah. The 60s or the 50s. Uh, and some extraordinary, I just noticed something here, cold turkey is in there. I mean, yes. That's an extraordinary thing. That's just to do with, again, with the level of reverence for John Lennon. Cold yeah, turkey yeah. is a great single. It's just nonsense. Clean Up Woman by Betty, Bri- Betty Wright. Uh, something in the air by Thunderclap Newman. What, that, that's extraordinary. Oh, it's a great, it's a good record. It's a good record, but I mean, you know, that's kind of fizzled out slightly, isn't it? It has, yeah. It doesn't have a, yeah. There's no, there's no enduring cult, is there? For the one that really, the one that really exercised me was you, you keep me hanging on by Vanilla Fudge. Now, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not disputing that's a good version of that song, but the idea that that's there and the original version isn't. Is astonishing. And also, that's, that's true. That's and the Vanilla Fudge's version, but that's very rock critic. Uh, that is very rock critic. I can remember Vanilla, yeah, Vanilla Fudge used to be the thing most played on the college jukebox in yeah, yeah, yeah. 71, 72. Because it, it, the reason people always used 
get it on the jukebox was it was about six minutes long. So you, so you got, got your money's you worth. Got quite a, you got quite a lot of value for your tanner or whatever it was. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> so you're talking about John Lennon there. And so it's it's 80 years. Yeah. John, John Lennon's birth. Um, which uh, I wrote a thing for the Radio Times about it. And um, so he's been as dead. He's been, sorry, he's been dead as, as long as he was alive. As long as he was alive, I know. It, which is, you know, it, it, was, it was terrible. It's appalling. Um, and um, I tell you what, I was thinking about him. <laughs> it was struck me when I was rooting round looking at stuff. I was watching a, an interview with um, done, I suppose, a couple of years after he died, with Aunt Mimi. Oh, yeah. The woman who, who brought him up, his, his aunt, um, and, uh, and he installed her in a bungalow down on down Sandbank. Cool, so Sandbank's it, ferry. Yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was and, a great picture of him with her coming off the ferry. Yeah. And, um, and she was clearly a kind of a bit of a remarkable personality. Um, but I couldn't get over the fact that even when he left, he left Britain in 1971 and he never came back. But he obviously kept in touch, you know, a lot. He, he wanted to know what was happening in Britain. But he used to ring her every week. Right up until he died, wasn't it? Right, right up until he died. Yeah. And if you watch the interview with this, this woman, she's clearly quite a remarkable woman. But... You could tell, you can find this interview on YouTube. It was done by Southern TV or something like that. It's just the go to our house. And I've go. seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. And and, and she clearly, <laughs> we probably all, we probably all had elderly aunts in our in our family. So we've all gone to meet their reward now, so we can save this. They were all at one time or another a bit much. Yes? Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. In every family... There will be a couple of a one or a couple of elderly aunts who are who can be a bit much, and just and sort of like to hear the sound of their own voice. <laughs> hey, we say this in the middle of a podcast. That's rich, uh, but anyway, she was clearly one of those. You can tell that from that interview. You know, she's always kind of quoting herself in the interview, and I, you know. And obviously John Lennon was doing the right thing by keeping in touch with her and she meant an awful lot to her and he was very he was very you know, grateful for what she'd done for him and that's absolutely right. But my God, she must have been a bit difficult every week. You know, you know, did you, you know, when you, when our late mothers were alive, did we ring them every week dutifully? I'm not sure we did. I don't think we did, no. And obviously, did. you think how <laughs> the cultural difference alone is that he was living in the Dakota building and his life in New York would have been something that she could never have pictured, never imagined. She would never really have understood the nature no, of no, American no. culture. And he would have found it very hard and probably slightly nostalgic, actually, to hear about life down in, in, in you know, near Bournemouth. But, I mean, you can imagine there must have been so little kind of connection. But it obviously meant a lot to him, didn't it? Yeah, but, it but, but I think also, I wonder, with a playing, playing the amateur amateur analyst here, whether he, throughout his life he, he really wanted stern female presences. And, and Yoko was one of the, was one of those. Do you know what I mean? That he, he liked to be told what to do. Cynthia too. I, there you go. Cynthia, who I think was older than him, wasn't she? 
She was. And kind of organised him and, 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 and bust him around and told him what to do. And, you know, and he needed a mother figures, a major, major thing. Didn't he That's call great. Yoko mother? He did. Didn't he refer to her as mother? God, he did, didn't yeah, he? he did, I hadn't yeah. thought that. Yeah, he did. And, uh, no, you just thought, you watched the interview with Mimi and you think, if John got on the phone every week for an hour, she would have been talking for most of that hour. She just would. Yeah. And his job would have been to say, yes, you're probably right. Mm, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way or whatever. You know, it would have been slightly in the, he would, he would be ticked off for you know, the best part of an hour. And he volunteered for that every volunteered week. Volunteered for it once a week. <laughs> just... I know. He took it on an Australian tour in, I think, 65, didn't he? And if you look oh, on YouTube, he? I think there's footage of her being interviewed on an aeroplane. I'm fairly oh, sure. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I always thought that was amazing because, you know, the idea that anybody is embarrassed about having, for example, their own parents in the audience, you know, if they're a, if they're a musician and uh, how you would feel about that. Um, but the idea that Aunt Mimi, who was so kind of... Uh, prim and strict and, and rigid to some extent, wasn't she? And, oh, and obviously critical of what he was doing in the early days. The idea that he invited her out on that tour to sit in his audience as they she, played Australia. Because clearly part of her performance always when he was there was to say, in front of the largest crowd she could find, I told John not to do that. I've always told him if he if he does that, not to come here and all that kind of stuff. And he volunteered for that because he yeah. liked it. Because he made him feel he was at home. You know, which is a really profound thing in his life, I suppose. It you know, is. Because he, for a certain time, he, you know, well, his early, early days, early years were uh, very uncertain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in fact, most of his life was fairly uncertain, I suppose. Um, so what's the, what for you is the key John Lennon musical moment? If you've got to pick one. Oh, God, musical moment. Gosh. Uh, whoa. In my life, uh, no reply, uh, help. Uh, uh, this boy, Mr. Kite. God, oh, right. on... oh, I don't... That's it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they had extraordinary uh, warmth and humour and humanity. Didn't they? I, I, I'm afraid to say, and I've said this on podcasts, pass him, that I felt he lost a lot of that when his, he, he, he no longer had as his core team George and Paul and Ringo, and it was mainly Yoko and a few session musicians. And I think some of that, some of that kind of that, that warmth and wit went out of his music. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's just me, really. But yeah. um, so, well, what about you? Best moment? God, that's well, yeah. Moment. Well, I no reply, uh, definitely. Uh, yeah. But I've also got I've got great affection because I have great affection for the uh, for its its use in uh, the movie Hard Day's Night. Is if I fell. Oh, it's fantastic. Which is just wonderful. Yeah, and gives the lie to the idea that John only ever wrote the kind of political abrasive stuff and uh, Paul only ever wrote the sappy stuff, you know. Yeah, it's, completely. It's simply not true. Uh, but anyway, um, thinking of him on the on his 80th and what would have been his 80th birthday. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Okay. Any other business? A few things further to our um, recent excellent chat with Gerard Mankiewicz, the uh, the legendary photographer. And if anybody hasn't caught up with that, they really should do it in, in one of yeah, our... Yeah, it was really good. ...word in your attic series. Um, Gerard was telling, me, uh, telling us about his studio that he used to have in Ormond Yard in St. James's, um, where he took pictures of the stones and the yardbirds and loads of people like that. And... Uh, 
I walk through Almond Yard quite often because it's on the way out of the London Library, and it's just really it's just an anonymous kind of it's back back entrance of various office buildings and so forth. But down there for years, as I used to go past, the tiny little gents hairdressers, tiny little place. They used to have a little wooden sign above it saying "Court Hairdresser." C-O-U-R-T, court, hairdresser. And the idea that if a gentleman wanted a short back and sides in order to be presented at court, you know, that's the place to go. Well, I realised that this was the place that Paul Denoyer used to talk about years ago. It was. It was our old pal way. from Mojo and Q and Wood yeah, and stuff. I know. So, so where do you get your hair cut? A man who has his own tailor, of course. So, okay, you so, you know, and his own club that he's a member of. There you go. That's Paul. Yeah. He's very much into all that stuff. He said, oh, I get this chap in, in, in St. James's, and he's, he's getting on. He, you know, he must be in his 80s or whatever, but he still keeps going. And... Uh, and then I realised that this is the place that Paul's talking about. Of course, recently it was gutted, that building, and I saw the court hairdresser sign chucked into a skip and so forth. And I mentioned this to Gerard after our chat, which is on Word in Your Attic. And he said, oh, that was Philip. He said Philip had been there cutting gentlemen's hair since 1949. Oh, no, 1949. Yeah. And he said he'd been there looking out on the occasions when Gerard was taking those iconic photographs of the Rolling Stones of the Yardbirds and Jimi Hendrix and all these people. So Philip had been there cutting hair since 1949, you know, end of the war, you know, through the swinging 60s, right up until probably a couple of years ago, cutting the hair of Paul Denoyer. Absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? If anyone's not seen that picture, just Google Gerard Mankiewicz and uh, Yardbirds, and that picture comes up. It is amazing, isn't it? It's fantastic. The five of them standing in a row. It's got Jimmy Page, and it's got uh, Jeff Beck in the lineup at the time, and Keith Relf in the middle. And between Keith Relf's legs in the distance, you see the man in the bowler hat. Yeah. And a kind of 60s girl as well, and the guy on his way to work. It's just a brilliant moment, a 60s moment kind of captured. It's a, it's a fantastic, uh, you know, all, we're, we're delighted with all our word and erratic chats, but I think that's a particularly good one. Though, it is. He talks about taking those legendary photographs of Marianne Faithful in a pub in St. Martin's Lane. And at the point, neither of them was old enough to drink. That's right. And <laughs> the effect it has on all the other uh, people in the pub when Marianne Faithful comes yeah. in. Age whatever she was, 17? 17. I think 17. 17. They I were know. both, both he and Marianne Faithful. I know, it's astonishing. Isn't we're it? 17. Yeah. So we got we got more of those coming up. Um and have you been have you been enjoying Dylan's I book? I have. I have. It's extremely good. It's Dylan's book, Sweet Dreams, it's a the corker. story of the new romantics, which we're going to talk to him about on we're doing that on Tuesday, aren't Tuesday? we, Alex? Yeah. That's one of our one of our crowd casts. I believe. Say again. 7 p.m. on Tuesday. 7 p.m. And so if anybody's a, a Patreon supporter, uh, they'll be able to be in the room, as we like to say. Um, oh, we've we got your man, Rob Halford. Tuesday Rob. after, is it Tuesday after? I think so. Yeah, it could, yeah. Could it's be. Cool. <laughs> but Rob Halford of Judas Priest, an extraordinary story. Uh, a book called Confess, which I think is on the Tuesday after, the 12th. Yeah. And uh, Rob will be joining us from where? Where is he? Arizona or somewhere yeah, like that? Yeah, is that where he yeah. is? So I've been approaching Dylan's book like a kind of selection box. You can just kind of open up anywhere and you'll find some little bonbon of information, which will stop you in your tracks. And the, the most recent thing I found was that Andrew Ridgely, talking about that he and George Michael, when they were kind of unknown, you know, teenagers, whatever, 
They went to see Genesis at Earl's Court. I just thought that's, that's the most wonderful. That's fantastic. Unlikely. That you would never have expected. You wouldn't have thought. No, that. no, no. That's at great. All, at all. So uh, yeah, I like so, the little moment where uh, where Nick Rhodes is, talks about his his definition of success of rapid success. He says it means that every time you go to a restaurant, you look a little bit further down the wine list. Oh right, oh, that was great. That's oh, great. I like and also a great moment, one of those brilliant moments where you talk about the kind of pivotal nature of music fashion, where Steve Strange is outside the Blitz Club and Mick Jagger arrives. Have you got to that bit? Mick Jagger no, arrives in a limo uh, with a kind of chaperone minder. And they kind of get out to try and get into the Blitz Club. Mick Jagger is wearing trainers and stuff. And, and Steve Strange decides he won't let him in because he doesn't, uh, it doesn't fit the criteria. He's not a creative-minded pioneer and he's wearing trainers. So he's not allowed in. And this is a lovely idea that's out of nowhere. This 19-year-old boy from Care Philly has arrived, you know, with an extravagant uh, <laughs> blouse on, an eyeshadow, and a lot of velvet, and a wedge haircut. And he's become the arbiter of taste. Yeah, yeah. And he can turn, obviously, sees the publicity value in doing it. And then a week yeah. later, of course, lets David Bowie in. It's completely the opposite. The place goes mental. Bowie walks through the wall. They part like the Red Sea with a fawning acolyte. No, it's good so, stuff. so, Alex, have we got any new Patreon supporters in the last uh, in the last few days? We do indeed. Um, we have the legendary Paul Marshall. <laughs> the legendary Paul Marshall, of course. <laughs> Following behind closely, Carl Magnus Palm, a gentleman of uh, of, of repute. Right. What a great name, Carl Magnus Palm. Carl Magnus Palm. The, I'm going uh, to I'm going to venture a guess that that's a name from overseas. Yes, I, I I think it's um somewhere in in Scandinavia. It, it's, right, okay. It's rather Scandinavian. We go. have the rocking vicar, the mysterious. Oh, right, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. James Topham, who is an annual patron, and uh, a reminder that if you do subscribe annually, uh, there is a ten percent, fifteen percent discount. Right, right. On, right. Uh, on the rates. Uh, and last but certainly not least, we have this spectacular Mr. Ian Lowe's. Well, welcome to welcome to Very all. Very welcome aboard. Have we got anybody's birthdays all. coming up in the next few weeks that we're going to we're going to mark by yes, um, we, we have visiting them for a word in their own particular attic? Yeah, um, this month I believe we've got we've got three. In, oh, right. In, uh, forget the dates. Oh, yeah, right. you don't know. You don't no, have to But us. we do have three coming up, and you can also view Paul Cooks uh, if you are a subscriber on, on Patreon. And if you want to know more about it, it's just go patreon.com slash word in your ear. So uh, that is a massive, massive advantage of being a patron, isn't it? That we come and do a, a, a special individual word in your attic. Yes, we, co we come into your house home. without actually having us coming into your house. Which That's is right. It's a win-win, really, isn't it? <laughs> just absolutely perfect. So I, I'll just uh, I'll just leave you with this uh, piece of news: that in order to keep the nation's spirits up, Gary Barlow's going on tour. Finally, <sighs> this podcast was brought to you by the Word. <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.